0: Davis was a a delivery driver um, who was the victim of an armed robbery and uh, a shootout that followed. And um, Richard Davis, after the shootout, like had a had a moment of clarity regarding how incredibly dangerous it is to be shot at. And he invented uh, he invented body armor like but not flak jacket body armor. Uh, he invented a woven nylon body armor. And I have, a, I have an illustration here. Um, thank you, Jeremy, for bringing uh, a bulletproof vest for me. This is a, a traditional piece of body armor. I'm off camera. Uh, <laughs> this is a traditional piece of body armor. It is not small, right? Um, the, I'm going to wear it today because uh, I'm going to come back to this over and over. Over my head, like a shirt. Back in church after a month's break. Uh, no matter what anybody thinks. Uh, hopefully I can do this without messing up too much. Um, and it has nothing to do with the content of my sermon. Uh, so, uh, but if you're offended, aim for the head. Um and you don't want to do that because this is, you know, how I make the big bucks. Uh, my mouth, not my face. Uh, so uh, this, this Richard Davis guy, he invented – I mean, look at this. This is, this is something, right? I mean, this is – if you, you know, came up and punched me in the belly, I wouldn't feel it because there's a steel or Kevlar or something plate behind this that is solid as heck. Well, the the body armor that um, Richard Davis invented um, was nylon. It was basically – it looked like a piece of mesh, and you could pull on it and twist it. And his thing was, if it looks like I'm wearing a vest, what's the guy with the gun going to do? He's going to shoot me in the face. So he invented this thing that was light and tiny and breathable and easy, and the objective being then people would aim for center mass, I assume, um, and it would protect him. And so, like, I watched this video this morning um, that he sent out to police departments where he took this armor and he hung it up on a post and he shot it with a shotgun. And he, um, you know, did all kinds of stuff with it, put it on the ground, shot it with a forty-four Magnum. And then he put it on and he took a forty four Magnum and he held it. And it's really, you can tell he's flat out scared doing it, um, where he held the, held the barrel and he pulled the hammer back. And he's explaining this body armor and how it would save his life. And he pulls the trigger point blank with, with a hand cannon, right? And it, it knocks him back, and he turns. And, and, you know, and actually I think he shot several things with the gun to demonstrate that he wasn't incapacitated. And he takes off his shirt, and he's got a welt like this, um, you know, about that big. And he's bleeding a little bit, but the bullet was stopped by this piece of nylon. Nylon. Um, they w- They make underwear out of that, right? I mean, like it is not something that stops a bullet and he said the first time he did it, it was science. Every time after that, it was showmanship because after the first time he knew it was going to stop a bullet, right But I want you to think for half a second about the kind of courage involved and the kind of confidence involved in taking you know what at one point was one of the most Powerful commercially available pistols and like shooting yourself in the chest with it. Like believing that this thing is enough to protect you. Um, this, this piece of cloth. Like, like can you imagine? I, I'm guessing that he, he probably had to change his shirt afterwards because of the bullet hole and his shorts because, because the very idea of it is terrifying. Um, his voice shakes as he does it. He is flat out scared. Go on YouTube and watch it. It is something. Um, we're going to be in Psalm 26, and we're going to talk about trusting in something big, and trusting in something strong, and trusting in something that's largely invisible. That's something, right? I'm a little like that bulletproof vest. It was not this heavy. I mean, golly, this thing is heavy. Um, it, it is not this heavy thing that 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 you know that you wear around. It's not this big, obvious, bulky protection. It is something that you don't see, and so we're going to be in Psalm 26. Um, as we've worked through the Psalms, a couple of things: um, Psalms are written as a literary, like as a specific literary genre, right? And so we got to handle them accordingly. This Psalm, in particular, is all in first person. And so it is all this man talking to God from his perspective. Um, A lot of the other Psalms we'll see where um, it'll move into third person, like it's talking about someone else, or it'll speak on God's behalf or what have you. But this one is straight up first person, um, which I think is a big deal because um, like if, if, for example, someone else is wearing a bulletproof vest and my job is to shoot them in the chest, that's one thing. It's quite another when it's me, right? And then every day of the week and twice on Sunday, I'm going to pick this one, not that piece of nylon, right? Because this is secure. Don't do that. Don't tell me what to do. (laughs) Is that really an annoying sound out of the speakers? Um, All right, so – um, this is all in first person and the series so far we have talked about God's protection and how the last few psalms have kind of translated into the New Testament context how the last few um, psalms have related heavily to our righteousness in Christ and the salvation that we receive through Jesus. Um, this one is a little bit of a step further and there's actually a theme that develops starting at about Psalm 23 and going on where there's a whole lot of emphasis on. Um, God's house and the temple right like because uh psalm 23 ends with and I will dwell in the house of God the Lord forever and then psalm 24 and 25 we talked about how like they begin with you know the entry into the temple remember we did the the call and response a few weeks ago um, for the entry into the temple and the last week had some temple themes and this week as we get into this this is about being in the temple and calling on God now there are two separate meanings in the original context, which is insane because usually when you read something, it means what it means, right? It's not a double meaning. In this case, because there are a thousand years between when this psalm was written and, um, and when it was assembled into a book, there are two meanings that are taken to it. And then there's a third that applies in the New Testament context. Um, and so we're going to have to talk a little bit about that and it might be a little confusing. I will do my best, uh, to make it not confusing. Now, last thing, and then we'll dive into the text. I know you're all raring to go. Um, the temple for ancient Judaism, the temple was huge, right? All the way up until the exile when the Jews were dragged away and like put in chains and forced to serve in Babylon. Um, the temple was the center of. Of their religious life and actually the tabernacle before that the tent that they dragged around the desert because and then like the first during david's reign like within the city of god like the the tabernacle tent like all of it that was the center of their like experience of god and so like if the nation sinned and you had to offer a sacrifice you couldn't just do that in your yard right you couldn't worship at home you didn't do that you went to the temple and like for ancient Jews, like in the first temple period, like Solomon's temple, right? You would go to the temple on a regular basis to worship, and you see that happening in the um, like in the second temple period. But by then, there was synagogues. Like you would have a church in every town, and you'd have a temple, and you would go to the temple for certain things. Like when Jesus is born, they take him to the temple to be dedicated, right? And so they take him there, and he has this whole dedication thing. Um, You would go there for sacrifices. You would go there for holidays. You would go there for special occasions. If you were a member of what's called the diaspora, you lived all over the world, and you went there, like, on pilgrimages. Um, That's where this is going to play in. Now, in the original context, this psalm is about hiding in the temple for safety. Like, so let's say, for example, I'm out cutting wood, and I accidentally, like the axe head flies off my axe, and it kills, you know, don't know, TJ. Um, <laughs> and I realize, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I call for help. TJ's family comes. They're noticeably angry at me. I turn around, and I run to Jerusalem, and I hide in the temple with, you know, James Bond on my feet or my heels. Like, hey, you, you know, and I go, and I hide in the temple, and I can claim sanctuary, sanctuary there. I can say, hey. I'm in the temple. You can't touch me. And according to Jewish law, I could stay if they decided that my case was worthy of their protection. Um, That's a big deal Uh, because they would hear me out after a few days. Everybody cools down. After a few days, they'd hear me out, and they'd decide if I could stay there or not or if I could be transported to a special city where people lived while they were hiding from the consequences of an accident or, like, a dumb decision that, like, wasn't – you know capital um so the temple is a huge deal all sacrifices happen there all worship happened there like like it was the center of everything even if you read like daniel when daniel is in exile and he prays he faces the temple to pray because the temple is like the middle of everything for them we don't do that now because jesus is our temple right Jesus is the body, you know, like Jesus sacrificed for us. We become like the temple of the Holy Spirit, like we carry the Holy Spirit around with us. The church is the body of Christ, not the building of the people. All right, so jumping into Psalm 26, verse 1. Oh, i got to go super fast. I spent too much time playing with the body armor. Um, so we're going to be a little long. Don't shoot. <laughs> it was a joke. <laughs> uh, vindicate me, Lord. For I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord, and I have not faltered. Now, vindicate me, we talked about this a couple times in the last few weeks, is a legal term. When you would go to court, you would um, present your case, and the judge would vindicate you or not, right? He would pronounce you righteous or not, Um, and the vindication is literally the public pronouncement. Righteousness was your innocence and appropriate position in relation to the law. So you were righteous if you were right in the eyes of the law. You were vindicated when the judge announced you're good. And so the psalmist stands up and says, vindicate me, Lord. Oh, my gosh, this thing is heavy. Uh, (laughs) Vindicate me, Lord. like, Like, declare me innocent. Declare me righteous, for I have lived a blameless life. He is not claiming to be sinless. Okay? Like, straight up. This is written as a psalm of David, so like if we're talking about David here, David is clearly not sinless, right? Like, like slept with the neighbor's wife, murdered her husband to cover it up. Uh, There are a handful of other sins in there. Ignored his son, like taking advantage of his daughter, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. David was no perfect man. But a blameless life in this context refers not to sinlessness, but to orientation, like direction that you choose to live. Now, um, the idea here would be I operate in harmony with God's direction and plan. I know what I'm supposed to do when I do it, right? I, I got pulled over about a week ago, and my wife discovered the warning ticket, which is unfortunate because then I got a lecture. Uh, But I got a warning ticket, and I got a warning ticket because I actually wasn't trying to speed. It was a rare occasion where I was trying to obey the speed limit. What happened was I passed an unmarked car that was going really slow. And you guys know how it is. You get on the highway, and you get behind the police car. and He's like a pace car at the Indianapolis 500. There's 75 cars lined up behind him. (laughs) And so I see this car, and I passed him. And I set my cruise control at 75 which is the speed limit, I'm pretty sure, on the highway. Uh, (laughs) And I cruised along. And then I had an officer behind me, and he followed me, and I tried to pay attention. And then he pulled me over, and he explained, well, look, you were speeding. But I don't think you were, you know, I don't think you were being nuts, right? Like, I I wasn't going 90. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't flaunting the law like some folks do, or like I usually do. Um, The idea here is... I try to do the right thing. I try to live according to God's will. I live in fear of the Lord. I know he is my salvation. I know he is what saves me. I know he is everything to me. And because of that fear of the Lord, I try to live my life a certain way. I'm going to fail. I'm going to sin. I'm going to fall on my face. I have trusted in the Lord, and I have not faltered, meaning that as I live my blameless life, as I try to live the way God intends me to, I trust him. And I have not faltered faltered the word faltered there means wobbled right and i i actually as i was writing i almost started with this idea and focused on it but i don't think it's the main idea of the sermon but i think it's powerful like like wobbling anybody ever have when you were kids the weebles was I the only am i the only one that old The little egg-shaped toy with a weight in the bottom and what did weebles do they wobble but They don't fall down. You can tip them and they pop back up. And he's saying, listen, I may have like, like struggled at times, but I have not faltered. I've always trusted God. I have always come back to God in trust over and over again. Um, And so, God, I've tried to do your thing. I've tried to be your man. I've tried to live the life that you've called me to live. I've trusted in you and I haven't fallen on my face in that. Um. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance of your faithfulness. This is a huge thing. First off, this test me and try me. Examine my heart and mind. This is, There's this um, literary genre, and I don't forget, I don't remember the technical name. Um, but in ancient Israel, they would write these huge essays and like flowery poems and everything where you would stand before God and plead your case right so you would stand before God and say God I am innocent and here's why and if you read the book of Job right Job is not a very happy book well like anybody who's read it would know this Job's life is in tatters it is all broken His kids are all dead. His house burned down. He's sitting in the ashes with a piece of pot, like scratching on the sores on his skin because he's dying. And his friends come, and they say, well, obviously you had this coming, Job. What did you do? Why is God punishing you? And Job stands up, and he – like the whole book is Job pleading, I didn't do anything wrong. God, let me have my day in court. Test me. Try me. Put me there, examine me, and then vindicate me because I deserve it. None of this stuff is fair, right? That's what we're seeing here. We're seeing this, Lord, check me out, test me and try me. You know where my heart is. You know where my mind is. You see these things and you know I belong to you. You know I belong to you. For I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and lived in reliance on your faithfulness. Love, faithfulness. For starters, these are lined up. These psalms are lined up in a really neat way where this love and faithfulness actually appears in a preceding psalm. Bulletproof vests are not... Do I still... Am I on? All right. Um...
1: So we're going to jump into Psalms
0: here, see if I can find the right one. I didn't think through how heavy this would be when I decided to put it on for the sermon. But what? I know I'm working on it. Hey, I'm through three verses here. Um, (laughs) All right. Psalm 24. Okay. He who has. Uh, Nope. Not that one. Sorry. Oh, am I really not going to find it? Anyway, um, this, is, this line is actually in a preceding uh, psalm, like one of the previous two. And what happens here is he's saying, um, unfailing love and faithfulness. The word unfailing love there is chesed. Um and it literally means fierce loyalty or commitment. It is love in the sense that I will not abandon you for any reason. It is the love that Cubs fans have for their team. Or did until recently. It is the love that <laughs> it is the love that um, that I I would die for my for my truth, like for this thing that I love. Um, Hasid is um, is is a fierce love, a fierce loyalty. Now, he is not saying I have always been aware of my Hasid. It is. God's has said, right? And so God's has said his unfailing love in this context is the psalmist's protection. This is the thing I know that will save me. I may sin. I may struggle. I may falter. I may be seeking sanctuary in the temple, but I know God's unfailing love, God's fierce loyalty is the thing that is going to protect me. Anything else in the world, like, like is, is nothing next to what I got protecting me. And that's God's unfailing love. God's unfailing love, it can't be doubted. Now, I want to put something in context here. Because in our culture, we don't like this idea that it's God's unfailing love that protects us, right? It is, in the context of the New Testament, Christ shed blood for us on the cross that protects us, Right? Um, it is Jesus pouring out his, his life and his blood for us um, that, that saves us. And it is that that saves other people. We want other things to save us. We look for politicians, right? In fact, every four years you hear, most important election of our lifetime. If we don't, then the whole world is going to, both sides say it, and it's insane. Because in reality, like, ain't a politician in the world that's going to save your soul, Right? or we trust in my you know i i trust in god and my shotgun right i you know it's it's the gun i keep under my pillow i know that's what's going to save me or god i trust in my money or i trust in my whatever like there are all sorts of things that we trust because they're bigger and bulkier and i can put my hands on them and i can pull the voting lever and i can you know buy more ammunition i can do this i can do that I can do all of these things, and these are the bulky versions of what's going to protect me. But in reality, that unfailing love of God, there are days, I wonder, anybody ever get that? You wake up in the morning, and your knees hurt, and it hasn't rained in long enough, and the ground looks really dry, and you're thinking, is it going to rain? Or bills are coming in, you don't know quite how you're going to pay them. Or your kids aren't doing quite right or your marriage is struggling or you're depressed or you're angry or you're lonely or you're feeling hopeless. And that unfailing love, man, it looks a lot like that nylon weave. Really thin. Do I really want to risk the 44 Magnum or, or do I need something a little thicker? Do I want to trust God's unfailing love or do I want to trust the power of my own arm, the power of my own wallet, the power of my own aim? And have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. So has said, and the next word is emet. Fortunately, John's not here to point out how bad my Hebrew is. Um, but emet means truth. Um, it means, in, or is often translated as truth, it means endearing faithfulness. Meaning that, like, so God loves me fiercely, and God will never, ever, 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 ever abandon me. He will never walk away and leave me hanging. Um, God will never forget that I am here. Um, actually, one of the spots the prophet's uh, speaking on God's behalf says, um, you know, or God says, can I forget my own people? Well, I can no more forget my own people than a mother can forget the child nursing at their at their breast, right? Which I assume um, is really hard to forget, though I've seen my wife really tired a couple times while nursing. Um, I, like Like the reality is, That baby is there like we are there. God will not abandon us. And I will trust that without wobbling and falling because I know God's love doesn't fail and I know his faithfulness. I know he won't abandon me. Now, here's the thing. It's really easy to say that right now, isn't it? It's quite a bit more difficult when there's stuff on the line, when there's real decisions to be made. When it's about being honest in your business practices, when it's about um, being faithful in your marriage, when it's about um, speaking the word of, you know, speaking God's truth when it's embarrassing or when it's hard or when people might get mad at you. I one of the people there are several people in this building that I really appreciate this for. Stephanie is one. Uh, Rebecca isn't here right now, but she'll do this. When I screw up, these are people who will tell me you're doing it wrong. They don't care if I get mad at them. They just say it, right? Because they trust that it's better to do God's thing than to stay quiet. Um, that's a trust that's substantial. But it's a trust that's scary, right? It's a scary thing to say. You know what? I've been praying about you, and I feel like – and I love you, but this is a thing. It's an important thing. And there are areas I screw up. I know it's hard to believe. Um, Um, So trusting in that invisible stuff, that that nylon mesh is what he's saying about I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers, and I refuse to sit with the wicked. This is actually a callback to Psalm 1. Um, Psalm 1 is called a wisdom psalm. It is uh, the very first psalm, and it presents sort of a philosophy. Um, This could be the opening of the book of proverbs blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked who stands nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but delights in the law of the Lord and by his law he meditates day and night. Um, So what's going on there is he's saying listen blessed is the man who doesn't walk stand or sit this guy jumps right over it and he's like I ain't sitting with those people right. If I walk with somebody, that's one thing. We might happen to be going the same way. If I stand and talk to someone, it means I'm investing time with them. If I sit with them, it means I'm in their group. And he's backed up and said, listen, deceitful, hypocrites, evildoers, the wicked, like, I ain't hanging out with these guys. I am not on their team. I am not, like, jumping into this. Um, There are times that's easy, isn't there? There are times... Sitting down with people who are doing the wrong thing, or people who believe the wrong thing, or people who are, um, you know, if you say if you don't sit with them, they they decide it's time to cancel you, or whatever. Like there are people like that. Like it, it would be easy to sit down and shut up. It's quite a different thing to trust that doing what God calls us to do and being who God calls us to be and speaking the way God calls us to speak and spending our money the way that God calls us to spend it and doing all of these things, it is a reality that trusting in that in the moment is hard. Sometimes evildoers are like this heavy vest and doing God's thing is like that nylon weave. I don't know if they both work as well. I'm not going to test it, uh, though I would happily hold the gun for anybody who'd like to. Uh, (laughs) But it was a joke, I wouldn't. Um, I wash my hands in innocence, and I go about your altar, Lord. Now, here's the thing. We're going to enter the temple conversation, because I said this is a discussion, like in the original context, this is a discussion about seeking protection from the temple, fleeing into the temple. Because he comes in, and he says, "I, I need vindication. I need to be declared innocent. And then he talks about the temple. I wash my hands in innocence. Um, I really wish I had bought one I almost bought one to drink coffee out of in Israel at the temple and around it there are these cups with two handles I think John actually owns one um, with two handles and you use it to ceremonially wash your hands and it was symbolic of washing off all of the wickedness and preparing you to enter the temple and actually if you go to the wailing wall if you're like a Jew approaching the wailing wall you're supposed to wash your hands with this special cup um, and it is a whole thing. This is actually where baptism like, came from in the Jewish context. Because they would have like, these giant like, tubs, and sometimes you would jump into it and wash yourself and get out, and you could go into the temple. Right. Like it's this idea of being washed of your sins. And He says, listen, I wash my hand in innocence, meaning I'm already innocent when I wash my hands and I go about the altar of the Lord, which I can only do if I'm acceptable to enter the temple, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. So he says, listen, God, I come into your presence. I worship you. I don't like I'm not guilty and I worship you. I live my life worshiping you. Um, This is what I seek after. This is who I am. I say how awesome my God is. Now, again, it is a very hard thing when people are after you to praise God, isn't it? Anybody ever feel that way? Like, man, I got enemies, but praise God. Man, there are people talking about me behind my back. Man, you know, lots of people hate me. Praise God, I know he's in control. It's a lot easier to protect yourself with your own words, isn't it? It's a lot easier to protect yourself with your own acts and response. It's a lot easier to do your will and trust in the big substantial thing that's going to protect you. Lord, I love the house where you live and the place where your glory dwells. Now for him to declare, I love your temple. In the ancient world, that was a big thing. Like you, you would declare your love for the temple, meaning I love to be in your presence. I love to come and worship you. I love to pray in your place. Um, for the diaspora, these would be the people who are cast out all over the world, right? So the Babylonians come, they conquer Israel, and they take everybody who lives there away. Judah, not Israel. Um, the As- well, the Chaldeans, or no, the Assyrians conquered Israel before, and Israel was taken away in chains uh, about a hundred years before Babylon conquered Judah. And they went and they just sort of assimilated. They gathered into the world of the pagans and they became pagans too and they never came back. Um, Judah went into captivity and they stayed separate and they ate kosher and they followed the rules and they continued to worship God even though like, it was unpopular or dangerous or whatever. Um, and the, like, in the more recent context in the ancients, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells, is a reference to the fact that these are people who are traveling from all over the world where they've been in exile to come back and worship God in his house. It's like coming home, right? I've been taken away, and now I get to come home. I I read a few years ago of – Um, actually I've read a few World War II, uh, uh, memoirs and, and it's a really powerful thing to see where, um, folks who were in prison camps, you know, and like, uh, Zamperini, uh, wrote, um, unbroken, uh, who was in a prison camp in Japan for a number of years and he came home and how overjoyed he was to be out of the prison camp, how overjoyed he was to to be rescued and brought home. Um, that's the idea here. Like they were coming home for us. This is gathering with the body of Christ, gathering with fellow worshipers. This is coming and spending time in God's presence quietly and praying in the morning. It's reading his word and filling ourselves up with it. It is like being in God's presence as the church, um, as the family of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ. As, as, you know, this is where God's glory dwells. He dwells in us and in our lives, um, and it's a blessing. And we're to love the body of Christ. Honestly, that's not always easy. Sometimes the body of Christ is jerks. Not any of you people. Me. Uh, probably not any of you. Um, sometimes it's hard to love those people. But we're called to love them anyway. Do you not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with those who are bloodthirsty, in whose hands are wicked schemes. Whose right hands are full of bribes. So now, here's the double context. In the original, all kinds of people might run into the temple and ask for help. Hey, I need, I need, <laughs> I need sanctuary. I need to be protected. Keep me safe here. Keep me, keep me, keep me. Protect me. Save me. And, um, you know, he's praying and saying, Hey, when you kick everyone else out, keep me here. I'm not a sinner, right? Keep me in your presence. Don't kick me out. I am righteous. I am. Um, Vindicate me, keep me safe Don't make me like them For the folks in Diaspora For the folks who are spread out all over the world They're saying Don't leave me here right?" There are folks who assimilated There are folks who gave up There are folks who don't believe in in the God of the covenant anymore Like don't leave me with these people Let me come home Let me come back to the promised land Let me come back to the temple Um, For us we understand that we have no righteousness of our own. I don't I don't have righteousness. I'm not a good man. I'm not. I'm only righteous because of Christ like in me. I'm only righteous because God looks at me and sees Christ's sinlessness and his holiness and his righteousness because I belong to Him. That's the only righteousness I got going for me. I can't earn it. I can't like do anything to deserve it. I can't anything. Only in Christ am I righteous. Um, and I know that apart from Christ, I'm going away with the sinners, with the bloodthirsty, with the wicked, with the thieves, with everybody who deserves judgment. So now this is the last couple verses. And he actually comes back to the beginning because he says, you know, vindicate me, Lord. And then he says, I let a blameless life deliver me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground in the great congregation. I will praise the Lord. Um, Over and over again in the last few psalms, there's talk about like like being on unsteady ground or like not knowing where to stand or like the the danger of life. Like my feet stand on level ground is a reference to the fact that I'm safe because I stand in God's presence. The level ground comes from the righteousness that God bestows. Not our righteousness, but his. His has said, his amet, his commitment, his faithfulness, and he offers it to me. And what do I do? I follow him because I love him. Um, I, uh, As I was praying about this text this morning, this is the passage that came to mind. It's actually two of them uh, I'm going to share. Because what do we do with this, right? What do I do with this? How do I apply this? How do I live this? What does this have to do with my everyday life? How do I get up in the morning and do this? Now watch this. Um, both in Ephesians, right? Uh All right. This is Ephesians three. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, meaning my feet standing on firm ground like the psalm ends, right? May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God. What Paul's saying in very Pauline kind of language is I'm praying for you folks, and what I'm praying is that you will understand the protection and the strength and the amazingness of Christ. Like the psalmist does here. He says, listen, God, I can't see it, but I know it's there, and I know you're protecting me. I have your said, I have your Amet, your commitment, your faithfulness, and that's my protection. now my microphone's protection. That is my protection. I can't see it. I don't see Christ on a daily basis, but I trust in Christ, and that's where my righteousness comes from. That's where my strength comes from. That's where everything comes from, and I'm going to chase after that because that's what's going to save me. I'm going to go to Christ over and over and over again and say, God, vindicate me in Christ. Christ, I belong to you. Save me. Look at my life. Know I'm yours. Save me. Save me over and over again. Give me that righteousness. Give me that protection. Um, the other one is actually also in Ephesians, which is funny because I thought these up at separate times and didn't realize they were together. Uh, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength and his might, which is what he was praying for in the previous one. This is in six, put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over, the present dark, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. Uh, and having done all that, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of, belt of truth, um, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, I'm going to pause right there and sort of connect this all together. Watch this. Um, truth is not something that I have on my own. Truth is something God has given me. Right? Um, righteousness is not something i have on my own i don't belt on my bulletproof vest of righteousness because i'm righteous no i belt on christ's righteousness the psalmist belts on god's righteousness which is given to him he doesn't deserve it but he puts it on and that's what protects him and that's why he runs to god and says save me right that's why we're called to run to christ and say save me we're called to put on the armor of god but like a lot of times we preach this as like this militant thing, like as in, you know, I I have my coffee cup in the back with my pistol handle, you know, I, all right, I got my armor of God, like stand back or else. No, the armor of God is God's protection for me. It's Christ's righteousness that protects my heart and my soul and my chest. It's salvation that protects my head, which is actually where he goes next. Um, Shoes for your feet, you know, the readiness that, You know, given by the gospel of peace, as the passage ends here, he says, listen, my feet, I stand on firm level ground. What is my level ground? My level ground is the gospel. Whenever anything seems wrong, I can go back and say I'm bought by the blood of Christ. Christ saved me. Whenever I feel doubt, whenever I feel unlovable, which is most days, whenever I feel hopeless, whenever I feel depressed, whenever I blow it in a huge way and I think there is no coming back from this, whenever I look at the world around me and I see it's on fire and I say, man, if we don't win this next election, the whole world is going to end and America's we know it is going to be over. No, that's not going to save me. The gospel of peace is going to save me. You throw anything you want out in that world if I can stand on Jesus. If I can stand on the rock of Christ, I ain't going to be afraid of it because his righteousness protects my heart, because his gospel gives me a place to stand, because he, he is everything I need. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, meaning I can hold up my faith and say, you can say, do, try to scare me, accuse me, attack me, and my faith will protect me. I know the gospel is true. I know Christ died for me. I know my righteousness cannot be pierced because it's all Jesus. I know that I can flee to the temple and call for vindication, and I will be vindicated because of Christ in me. I know I'm long, but you can't shoot at me. i got a vest on. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all power and all supplication, Um, so he ends saying, listen, my sword, my weapon is the spirit. Um, my sword and my weapon is the Holy spirit found in the word of God. Um, I, I always want to ask folks, you know, I, I got a lot of Christian friends who are, are, um, active shooters. And I always wonder, like, do you practice with your gun for that one day, just in case more than you study the scriptures for the, it's definitely going to happen tomorrow. Like, which do you do more? Which do you practice more? Which are you in more? Um, Do you worry more about someone maybe shooting you in the chest more than you worry about the word of God? More than you worry about Christ's righteousness on your life? Like at the end of the day, all of the protection, all of the guns, all of the money, all of the stuff in the world will never save you the way that Christ does. And so my challenge to you this week is flee to God's temple. Cover yourself in God's armor. Be ready. Be safe. Be protected. Be righteous because of Christ alone. Nothing else will do it. And you're always welcome back. Filthy, dirty, stinking, wicked. Always put on that righteousness. Always put on that vest. Because Christ's righteousness is free. I'm going to close in prayer and I'll let you go. Um, I know it. I Whatever. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I, uh, I, I, I preach this message. Um, trusting in you, I preach this message because... As I was praying about the text, this is what what you put in my heart. And I pray that I was faithful in in sharing your word. Um, I I pray that I was righteous in your sight as I spoke your words. And I pray for the hearts and the the souls of the folks who are in the room here today and online. I pray that they would trust in you to save them. They would trust in your sanctuary to provide them safety. That they would trust in in your Hesed and your amet. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. Have a good day, folks.